honored this morning um, to have Patrick with us. Um, I, I, if he's like me, I, I was assistant pastor and youth director at a church in the area for many years, and the guy that would, they'd always introduce you before you uh, got up to speak, and I didn't, because I was the assistant pastor, the only time I ever spoke was usually when the pastor was out of town or something, and the gentleman like Mark did earlier that took up the offering was our adult um, Wednesday night Bible teacher, and um, we were great friends, uh, and he had always introduced me, and I was always skeptical of what he was going to say, and I'm sure Patrick is this morning too. <laughs> Because Richard would always get up and say, this is the guy that's getting ready to speak is a guy with the biggest head of hair I've ever known. Or he would say, our teen drug addict that now leads our youth department. And he'd just go on and on and on, you know, and say stuff that giving me a hard time. But uh, I love Richard dearly. He was just, he was a great Bible teacher. And the guy I'm getting ready to introduce to you when I came here 13 years ago was already our missionary. And as I told you a week or so ago, 94% of all people that get saved, get saved before the age of 18. And he's dealing with that group of young people on the campus of Ohio State University. And I don't know how long he's been doing that, but they're in the Bowling Green, but um, there's a niche there that is very, very needed. Um, we have these ministries at there and at Marshall University and that we support. And the one thing that impressed me about Patrick is when he started coming here, one of my goals was to have our missionaries in every summer that were on furlough or that had the opportunity. You know, we, we didn't pay to bring them from Africa or Italy or whatever, but if they were here, but Patrick would come and he would bring young people that they had discipled and you could see what they were doing and the change that the ministry had wrought in their life. And I'll never forget that. Um, and that's what it's about. Two, probably one of the hardest audiences of, of people and those on college campuses. Um, they're just, they're a hard, hard group. Um, and yet we see every year um, through his newsletters all the good that they are doing in reaching them. And if there's anyone I would want you to hear um, during the summer make a point which we have a lot of people obviously traveling and on vacation and God please give them safety but I want you to uh, listen to Patrick this morning because I'm sure you're going to be blessed and if you lay a golden egg that's not my fault I tried to encourage you <laughs> The mic's on. Ah, it was on. It was on. There's just a delay always, right? Well, good morning. It really is good to be with you guys. Uh, it's only been two years since I've seen you, but it, man, it feels so much longer, right? It's been a long, long year. 
Uh, and so it's just good for me to see your faces and, you know, many familiar faces and some new faces and just to know that we're in a building together, worshiping. It's really nice. Uh, it's definitely been a long year for us, and ministry has been difficult, but uh, to let you know that your support and prayers, God was using them to sustain us and empower us and continue to open doors even. Um, you know, a quick little story. Uh, at Ohio State in the fall, our organization, you weren't allowed to have groups of any size meet anywhere. <laughs> so on or off campus, 10 or less, forget that, any size, anywhere. And yet we saw more people come to Christ in the fall of 20 than we saw come to Christ in the fall of 19. So explain that one. Uh, it, it was hard. So don't, don't, it's not like things were just happening. It, it was hard, but God was still working. Um, like uh, Brother Randy said, I, I started with this ministry in 2002, actually. Uh, I became a Christian in college, and I spent 10 years uh, helping start ministries for campus outreach in Indiana. Did some work there for a while where we reached students with the gospel, discipled them, and equipped them to be able to do the same thing with others, and then just watched them leave the campus into the world. And in 2012, thought, why not do this again and start over again? So moved over to Columbus to start new ministries on new campuses. And so in the last nine years, I guess, now that we've been in Ohio, uh, we've been able to establish ministries now at Ohio State, Bowling Green State, and the University of Cincinnati, and establish teams there. And quick through, you know, just run through these things. Um, you know, in 2012, there was no ministry on any of these campuses. And not only have we been able to build up disciples and send out students, uh, graduates to labor in the world, but there's been some that came, have come back and wanted to say, we'll give four years or five years or six years to reach back. So we have full teams on three universities now. The third is Ohio uh, University of Cincinnati. That's our newest one. We actually expanded to a third campus during a pandemic So and raised up a new team. So God has been working, though, again, it's been very hard. Don't, I don't want to give the impression that this was an easy year. Um, right now, I just came back off of our uh, summer project. We do an eight-week summer project where uh, we're training students in evangelism and Bible study and discipleship, but they also work full-time. Last year, we had to do that virtually, and God still used it, but really happy this year to be able to do it again. Here's some pictures where they, they live together, they work together, uh, they worship together, um, have fun together. And so the students are up there, or staff to design the curriculum and help equip them and help them grow deep in their faith to be able to use those things as they leave campus for the rest of their life. It's a critical time to catch people. Not only are they in transition, but they have more free time in college than they'll ever have for the rest of their life. So this is the time to equip them and give them deep roots so that when all the rest of life stress comes for the next 40 years of your life, you've got some deep roots to use, right? So um, that's just a quick intro to myself if some of you don't know me. Let me pray, and we'll look at a text uh, together. Father God, thanks for this time this morning. Thanks for every individual here. Um, God, we, we want to hear from your word. We know you have things to teach us. We know you want to reveal things to us. Um, please use this time for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, in 1952, there was an Irish teenager named Philomena. Uh, she became, she was 15, she became pregnant, wasn't married, and so she got sent to a convent to live. Um, and while she was there, as her little son became a toddler, the nuns there took her son, put him up for adoption, and sent him to America. She was living in England. And, uh, oh, actually, Ireland. Um, well, those are the same in some ways. You get what I'm saying. They're connected. Uh, against her will, right, took her toddler son and sent him over to America, adopted. For the next 50 years of her life, she searched for him and could never find him. It, it, along that journey, there was a former BBC correspondent, uh, what's his name, Martin Sixsmith, heard of her story and got interested and got involved. 
Over the years of him doing some investigation with her, they became pretty close. And eventually, they get back to the site uh, where she was. They're trying to uncover records. They realize that this location, this convent, had done this for many people. Uh, young teenagers with babies would come in. They'd take care of them. Then they would adopt their babies and send them off to different countries and then destroy the records so that you can never prove that it happened and people can never find them. So horrible. Uh, but there's actually a movie about it called Philomena. I would recommend it. It's a good movie. It's taking the story and putting it into film. Uh, but at the end of the movie, there's a scene where they, the, 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 the British co- the correspondents, the BBC guys, helped her get back to the place. And he storms through this room to uh, uh, confront the one lady that was in charge of it all. And he's just fuming mad, right? And he brings Philomena in there. And Philomena's like, let's just go. He says, you're not going to do anything? You know, here we are. Here's the person that did it. You're not going to do anything? And she says, no. No, I am going to do something. She looks around and says, Sister, I want you to know I forgive you. And then the, the correspondence, he's like, what? That's it? You're just going to forgive her? And she responds to him and says, no, not just forgiving. This is hard for me. It's very costly, but it is what I'm doing. I think that story sets up the story we're going to look at in the, in the Bible. We're going to look at Mark 2. If you have a Bible, I would turn there because we're going to refer to it several times. But Mark 2, 1 through, 5, 1 through 12, says this. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Mark 2, 1 through 12. So there's two main sections here, Mark 2, 1 through 5. First, we see the problem. So the scene here is Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and at this point in his ministry, what was very common, people keep coming and coming and coming. So the house he's in fills up, then outside the house fills up, then outside that fills up, and people are just trying to get a look, trying to get a hear, trying to get close enough to hear something. But then there's this man with a problem. He's a paralytic. He can't walk. And he has some great friends. We could preach a whole sermon about his friends, but we're not. But he has these great friends that say, okay, you have a need, and we don't know how we're going to get you there. We'll come up with a clue. We'll come up with a way. Create a hole in the ceiling and lower the paralytic down to get him to Jesus, right? The man has a clear problem that's driving him to get to Jesus, uh, I wonder what problem you're coming here with this morning. Uh, it could be a physical health issue on your mind, on your heart, concerning you. could be a relational issue, trouble with close friends, relatives, loved ones. could be emotional. 
could be anxiety connected like we were hearing earlier, things like this, fears that you're living with. could just be life stress and the weight and burden of things going on, financial, otherwise. For, for some of you, there's a good chance that the only reason why you're here is because of that problem. And that's okay. In this situation, what we're seeing, it seems like the only real reason we know that this man was coming to Jesus at this point was because of his problem. We don't know anything more about him, but we know he had a problem, and it was driving him to Jesus. And his friends knew he had a problem, and it was driving them to get him to Jesus, right? I wonder what is the concern, the problem, the need that's on your mind, on your heart, that makes you come here this morning or brings you here this morning? I would call to mind this, that Jesus is preaching, and obviously he's intent on his preaching, and people are there to hear his teaching, and then there's an interruption, right? Someone dangling down from the ceiling is an interruption. Uh, but Jesus' response is not, he's not frazzled. I have this quote from a, I like to share from a book. Um, it's by Dane Ortland. It's in a book called Gentle and Lowly, fantastic book. And he says this, For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. And I think that's being shown right here. You know, he's in the middle of teaching, and so many people are getting here to hear his words and then interruption. Wait, we'll just dangle this person that has a, a physical need right in. But he's approachable. He's not flustered by a change in what's going on here, right? So five, one through five, we see the problem. Six through twelve, though, we see this this forgiveness, this forgiveness theme. And imagine the scene. I mean, think about this. Uh, the man's coming to Jesus because he has a physical need. His friends know he has the physical need. Every there, everyone there in the crowd can look and say, "This man has a physical need." Obviously, Jesus also can see this man has a physical need. But Jesus' response, Jesus' response is a little bit surprising. You know, what he says to him is, your sins are forgiven. What's going on here? Physical need is driving me. Jesus clearly sees it. Everyone sees it. But your sins are forgiven is Jesus' response. Well, right after that, he says this. He, he kind of brings up this question for you. He asks the people there, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, pick up your mat, and walk? Which one is easier to say? Well, it's an easy question, easy answer. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say that. Why? Who knows if it happened or not, right? I can say something like that right now. You don't know. There's, no, there's not going to be any evidence in sight that would say it's true or not true. It's easier to say that. And plenty of us have been in situations where we have big needs, big problems, and we go to people, and there are plenty of things that people share with us like, it's going to be okay. Everything happens for a reason. There must be a reason, plan for this. Tomorrow will be better. There's more fish in the sea, right? There's all these things that sound good, and it's easy to say because you can't really prove if it's going to happen or not, you know? And so it's easy to say those things, but if you're a cynic like I am at times, I hear those things and think, you don't know that, you know? Uh, I know you're trying to, you mean well by telling me it's going to get better, but you don't know it's going to get better, right? And so we're used to hearing things like that. So we can look at a text like this and think similarly, oh, right, there was a blaring need, a glaring need that was going on right here. And Jesus dodged the need to say, oh, hey, your sins are forgiven. And no one really knows if that's true or not. Well, don't look at this text like that. He, he's, he's asking this question because he really wants to point out something to you. What's easier to say? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one knows. 
Now, the other question that he doesn't ask, but it's implied, what's easier to do? What's easier to do? It's easier to do, rise, get up, and walk. That's what's easier to do. To heal a physical problem is easier than forgiving sins. How do we know that's true? In the text, the scribes, when they hear him say that, they say, wait, wait a minute. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Answer, no one. Only God can forgive sins, period. So when he's saying that, he's saying, oh, I'm doing what God can do. And, but when they question, and they bring up this question, who can forgive sins but God? Jesus doesn't backtrack. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 wait, I, I wasn't really saying that. I was saying you can be forgiven, or I'm a messenger of forgiven. No, no, no. He's saying, right on. You're tracking with me. I'm doing what only God can do. What only God can do. I'm doing it. What's harder to do? What's easier to do? Hey, get up and walk. Only God can forgive sins. No man can do that. And, and why is that such a big problem? Well, think about for us, sin has been racking our life our whole life both our own and from without. But, you know, it goes back to Genesis 3 when sin first entered the world at the fall. And what was Adam and Eve's first response? What did they they try to do with their sin? Two things, hide and blame. And we carry out the same pattern over and over again with our sin. We try to hide our sin or try to make blame. Oh, it's because of this, because of that, because of this. They work to, you know, assuage our guilt at times or, you know, keep things in the dark, but it never goes away. It keeps eating at us, keeps hurting us, keeps hurting others, right? This is a big problem, a big problem. Jesus knew it was a big problem. See, the problem is that though we have all kinds of needs, our, our, a bigger need is we need to be forgiven. It's always going to be there regardless of some of our physical things. We need a bigger solution. And so what Jesus is pointing at, he's helping them see this man has a problem, you have problems, I have problems, but you have a bigger problem and there's a better solution bigger problem, better solution that Jesus is trying to show here. Uh, You catch this. He's coming. We're coming with needs, specific problems, heavy on our heart. And Jesus says this in the text. What verse is it? He says this. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, pick up your mat and walk. So there's this pattern here, and it has happened in your life too. So that you would know that the bigger need can really be taken care of, but it's hard for you to really understand if it's taken care of, he will do some of the smaller things in your life. We think the smaller things are the biggest thing. He is active. He cares. He cares about the problem that you have this morning. He cares about the struggle you've been carrying for 18 years of your life with anxiety or whatever. He cares, and he steps in. But just like in this situation, so that you would know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to step in and act in this immediate need. So you may know. He wants you to have confidence that your bigger problem can be taken care of, that your sins really can be forgiven, that you can be free from all that, that you can live a new life. And he wants to work in the immediate and things that you need, but all those things are trying to convince you again and again, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority, so let me do this thing that you need. But let me bring it to you in this way that you can see what's harder, and you're less likely to believe, so let me do the thing that you feel like you need so that you would know the bigger has already happened. But how is that possible? So if only God can forgive sins, how can Jesus forgive sins? Just two passages to look at really quickly to kind of explain how is it happening, how is it, why is it such a costly thing? First John 4, 9 and 10, right? Do we have that on here? Do we not have it? 
Oh, yeah, sorry, I'm looking there and it's black. Just look to the side. Uh, I should have paid attention earlier. First John 4, 9, 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how God showed his love. Like, how, you want to know how God showed his love. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or an atonement for our sins. How can he pay for sins? Because he went to the cross to pay for sins. Only one person could pay for sins fully. That's the one that was perfect, the sinless one, who could take the sins of others because he'd have to pay for his own sins. So how can he forgive sins? How can he love you? He showed his love by going to the cross, saying, I'll take those, put them on me, I'll pay for all of them, and then give you my record, right? There's another, do I have the other verse on there too? Yes. First Peter 2.24, another way of explaining it, he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. How can he forgive sins? By paying for sin. He's the only one that could. So it's costly. Like Philomena was saying that, you know, she didn't get to pay the same thing, but he's saying, do you just say you forgive? No, 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 no. I don't just forgive. Forgiveness is costly. But because I love you, I'm willing to pay it. I'll pay for all of them. And then I will just look at you and say, I forgive you. I'll pay for them. So what do we do with this? When you hear this, you know, what, 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 how are we to respond with something like this? Uh, I think it's simple. Uh, our response is to run to Jesus in faith. Run to Jesus in faith. Uh, you could still miss something here and get confused. I want to point out more in the text. Uh, if you notice, uh, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Did this man ask for his sins to be forgiven? No. Did he make a pledge of commitment? You know, did he walk down front at an altar or pray a specific prayer? There's like nothing that we really see that sometimes we would think these are the ways you become a Christian. We don't see that. So are we to, from this, believe that therefore all sins are forgiven? Everyone's sins are forgiven? Jesus is just saying something that's universally true, that he paid for all sins? I would say no. Again, if we keep looking at the text, we'll see the answers. What did it say about this men and what Jesus saw? Jesus seeing their faith, right? He could see their faith. He can see inside of you. He can see inside of me. He can see here. He can see here. He sees. Jesus could see their faith. On the contrary, what does it say about the scribes? He could tell they were questioning in their hearts, right? He was seeing their hearts too. He does not tell them, hey, scribes, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't tell them that. Because he sees their lack of faith, their doubt. He sees one people, sees their faith, your sins are forgiven, sees the other's doubts, leaves them where they are. He's still gracious to them because he gives them evidence too, because <laughs> they need the same thing. They're wondering, can he really forgive sins? And they, he, Jesus is kindly saying, you don't believe, you doubt, I'll let you see the same thing other people see. Maybe this will lead you to faith. But we have to be clear there knowing he sees someone's faith, he sees someone else's doubt. So it doesn't mean that everyone's just universally saved and all sins are forgiven. They're forgiven by faith. So that kind of brings us to this. You know, what does that kind of faith look like, though? Because sometimes we get tripped up with, what is faith? Well, faith in this instance is saying and believing, you are who you say you are. Jesus, you really are the Son of God. You really have come to do what you say you're going to come to do to, to redeem mankind. You've come to pay for sin. You've come to redeem us all. You've come as not only a representative, but as God in the flesh. I believe. 
Now, in that instance, you, it doesn't mean you know everything. I don't know what all this means, but I believe you are who you are. I believe you are who you say you are. And that's what's going on with these men and the paralytic as they're dropping him off. And so this kind of brings us uh, to, to two groups of people here as we kind of bring us to a conclusion. Uh, some of you here maybe have never really put your faith in Christ, never really trusted in him. That could change right now. Just like that, just by faith. And sometimes even people are confused. I, 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 I spent 20 years in evangelistic ministry, you know. We're always talking to people about the gospel. And, you know, looking at texts like this, I see there's sometimes people think they're still trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, when in reality, they already have faith. Their hearts already turned and said, this is true. I'm just confused because it's so new to me. So they think, maybe I'm not there yet. But here... This guy, these guys knew he's the answer. I don't know what this all means. I, I know he needs to help me. I don't know where it's going to lead, but I know he's the answer. Jesus could see their faith and say, your sins are forgiven. That could be true for some of you. Faith is the answer. On the other hand, you could be in that same place and just doubting. Well, maybe Jesus is a new thing to try to get this problem fixed, but I don't know who he is. So let me just see if he can help me, Right? It's not the answer. It all links back to, is he who he says he is? Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Is he the answer? Is he the life? Is he the bread of life? Is he the fountain? You know, is he everything that you need? He's done plenty to show you that. I would say run to him by faith. Trust in him. Trust in his provision and the love that he's shown you. Now, on the other hand, uh, some of us here, you know, you, you are Christians. You know, you've, maybe you say, I, I put my faith in Jesus. This is true. Uh, it, it, at, th- at this point, or maybe a long time ago, um, but the answer is to still keep living by faith. And for many of us, we, we still struggle to live believing that we're forgiven. You know, like maybe I believe I've done the things to get to heaven, but I still think, I still carry guilt with me. There's still dirt in my life that I'm not really dealing with or I don't know how to deal with properly. I'm ashamed of that. You need to understand when Jesus looked at you by faith and said, you're forgiven, you were forgiven, Amen. completely forgiven. We need to take steps or get people to help us take steps to, how do I live as a forgiven person? I don't really believe that's true. I don't have to earn that. It's done. How, how liberating is it to live knowing that I really have been forgiven? And not only that, does it liberate me and my, my uh, issues I'm dealing with or still carrying on? but it transforms the way I look at others too, right? Because you, you can't be a forgiving person if you're still carrying all the weight of your own. I mean, I know so many people that are Christians that are trying to walk with them are still so critical. And it all comes back to, they, they still must think, they're critical of themselves. I didn't do this right, I messed up here, and therefore it's so easy to be critical of all the things around you. And when you can just understand you're forgiven, you can let go of that criticism. You have to always be looking at this. I know every time you're criticizing someone else, I know it's a, it's a fruit of you criticizing yourself. It's just always on your mind. It's such a trap. It's not that like, we're not supposed to live in that sin. We, we need to be forgiven. Know that we can be forgiven because Jesus paid for all of it if you come to him by faith. And that's it. We need to take steps in that. And even though I was mentioning earlier, sometimes we turn to him by faith and like, we might, we might not know what that even means, but we know that you are who you are, who you say you are. You are the son of God. If you have that settled, then when you turn your page in the Bible and read anything else when he says, come follow me, then it makes sense. 
He says, trust me with this. It makes sense. He says, don't do that. It makes sense. If I'm convinced that he is the son of God that's come to give life, then anything else makes sense. So I don't have to understand it all before I put my faith in him, but after I put my faith in him to be who he is, the son of God that's come to save me, every other thing I read just makes natural sense to keep following. So I, I, I close finally with this. It's another little uh, description in that book that I mentioned earlier, that Gentle and Lonely by Dane Ortland. Uh, Dane Ortland kind of gives a play out of how, how this often looks. Oftentimes, this is what the scenario looks like. That here, here's me, or you, uh, starting to come to Jesus, but cautious. And basically saying it in my heart or to Jesus, like, you know, uh, you just don't understand. I really messed up and in all kinds of ways. To which Jesus responds, I know. We say, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, surely you know more than others, but there are deep things in my heart that no one knows. He says, I know it all. Right, okay, okay. Uh, well, the thing is, it's not just my past. It's my present too. He says, I understand. He says, and I'm not sure I can really break free from this stuff anytime soon. That's the exact person I'm here to help. You go on, you say this, but the burden's heavy. And it keeps getting heavier. He says, well, let me carry it. You say, it's too much. It's not for me. You say, well, my offenses aren't really against others. Most of my offenses are really against you. He says, well, then I'm the one best suited to forgive them. And finally, we say, but the more of the ugliness in me that you see, the sooner you'll be fed up with me and leave. To which Jesus responds, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We run to him by faith. Coming with your problems, coming with our needs, he wants to meet some of those. Maybe not today. Sometimes we see deliverance, sometimes we don't, but we see some things. And when he does those things, it's because he loves us. And he wants every single one of those things to convince you the bigger's true. I really am forgiven. It's so hard to know if I'm forgiven. But he works in our lives to say, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, and your sins can be forgiven. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the story, for each one of the people here this morning. Uh, God, problems big and small, problems that are on our minds, or even just push back into the recess of our minds, they're there. And they drive us to you. Uh, and it's good that they drive us to you. But let it be something that drives us to you, not just for an answer, but to you as a source of life. And knowing that you care for us, you receive us, you hear us, you see us, you want to work in us. God, give us faith. Give us faith to believe that you are the Son of God, that your Son did pay for all our sins. And, Father, give us faith to believe that we are forgiven. If we've placed our faith in you, that was, that was all that was required. And our sins are forgiven, and we can live as free people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.